Are we awake? Losing that hour? Uh, bummer. Uh, Pastor Brian Park before us used to call this the worst day of the year. You know, I would agree with him. Uh, so thanks for being here. Uh, let me ask you a question to start with. Uh, if someone were to ask you, I guess I'm, I'm doing that, asking you, uh, what's, your, uh, what's your religion? What would you say? Christian? Other things? Protestant? ESPN? Okay. I don't think that's Tom's religion. I'm, I'm just saying. I know Tom is not ESPN. Anyway, any, anybody else? What would you say? What's your religion? Christ follower. Say that again. Believer in Jesus Christ. Okay. When I was uh, in the church early, the big thing at the church I went to, I don't know if it was the church. Somehow I got this into my brain. People say, "What's your?" Re-? I don't have a religion. I'm a. I'm a. I have a relationship. That's not. I, I'm not saying that's the right answer. I'm just saying that's the answer I was looking for. <laughs> so, so during my sabbatical. I gained a deeper understanding of being in relationship with God. Not that I didn't have a relationship. I, think we're, I hope we're all gaining deeper understandings throughout our Christian life about what it means to be in relationship with God. I came to see that, it, that it's more than believing in God's existence. It's more than knowing biblical truths about who God is. It's even more than believing that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. It's even more than uh, acting based on those beliefs. Yes, these things are necessary, prerequisites, if you will. However, you, you can truly believe these truths about God while never experiencing relationship with God. You see that? You can believe truths about God with never experiencing a relationship because a relationship implies experience, right? Now, it's not that I didn't know this before my sabbatical. It's just that it wasn't, I wasn't living based on what I knew to be true, not fully at least. And, and my need for change was driven to, home to me in two ways. So this came up in my mind, in my heart, in, in two ways. And I want to share those two ways with you uh, briefly this morning. First, through reading the Psalms. I'm not going to read the Psalms to you. But through reading through the Psalms, specifically the Psalms of David. I, I can't, every time I, I'm reading through a Psalm and I go, man, this is really speaking to me. And then I go, oh, this is one of David's Psalms. Not that the others didn't, but in a special way, at least in this time of my life, it was the Psalms of David. It was, it was clear in reading David's Psalms, that he was not just writing prayers, he wasn't just writing songs, he was doing those things, but he was also describing his relationship with his experience of God. We see this clearly, I think, uh, so I will give you one example, in the most famous Psalm of all, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. That implies a relationship right there. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That you are with me. Experiencing the presence of God in your life uh, just jumped out at me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This, this dwelling, this engagement, this experience of God. David, the man after God's own heart, not only believed truth about God, he experienced relationship with God. And I wanted that kind of experience. I want that kind of experience. And if David, an, an Old Testament saint who lived before Jesus Christ came, who didn't have the Holy Spirit, uh, at least in the same way that we do, could experience God in such ways, why not me? Why not we? So the Psalms of David were the first thing that, that showed me really my lack and my need uh, to experience relationship with God. The second was an illustration I read in uh, Tim Keller's book on prayer. It was an illustration given by uh, 18th century American theologian, Pastor Jonathan Edwards. He said, there are two ways to know that honey is sweet. You can know it with the, the rational mind, and you can also know it with the sensing tongue. You can know that honey is sweet because people tell you about it and you believe them. But when you actually taste the sweetness of honey yourself, you know fully, mentally, as well as experientially. You see the distinction between knowing and experiencing. You may say, I really believe in God. I really believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins. I have no doubts about that. Edwards would say that you, you may not have any doubts about honey being sweet either. You could have talked to hundreds of people who told you, yes, it's sweet. You could have read scientific reports that prove the sweetness and the pleasantness of, of honey to the human palate. You could have been quite sure about it, even without having tasted it yourself. And I think the same thing is often true about us and our relationship with God. You can believe all the truths there are about the Father, the, Hun, the Son, the Holy Spirit without ever tasting, without ever experiencing the reality of, of them, of, of, of God in your life, His presence. And as I read that illustration, and as I thought about the Psalms, I realized my need to go beyond believing truths about God and enter into an experience of God. As David so beautifully said, I need to believe God is good. I need to not only believe God is good, I need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, how do I, how do we do that? Because we all, we're all going amen, right? Right now, everybody's amen. I want to experience God. I want to know God. I want, we talked about last week, more of God in my life. But here's the problem. It's work. It's work. God has, has given us what we're supposed to do to have relationship with Him, to enter into relationship with Him. How do we experience God? How do we taste and see that the Lord is good? Well, we've talked about this a little bit over the past several weeks. How we behold the glory of the Lord how we experience God through His Word, and how we are transformed by that experience. God has chosen to reveal Himself, to reveal His purposes through the pages of our Bibles. 
And that's where we go to experience him and to be transformed by him. But it's not just reading scripture alone that enables us to experience God. We must, I believe, and I'm becoming more and more convinced of this, we must meditate on the Word of God. That's what we looked at last week. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. From these verses, we saw three things. Let me just review quickly. We saw the meaning of meditation, that to meditate involves filling your mind with the Word of God, pondering the Word, thinking about the Word, asking questions about the Word, and applying the Word to your life. We acknowledge that, that, that doing this kind of meditation takes time and effort. We could call it work. So we then looked at the motivation for meditation. Why use our time and energy and efforts uh, in the Word of God, meditating, pouring over the Word of God? Two reasons. First, because we're commanded to meditate. We must meditate, the psalmist says. And so when we don't feel like opening our Bibles, we simply trust in God and obey His commands. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Because God knows what's best for you. If you trust and obey, you're going to be happy. Because God is, is telling you what's best for your life. You see, with that trust and obedience comes something else. Happiness. It comes delight. That's our second and really our ultimate motivation for meditation. As we spend time in God's Word, as we ponder it, as we apply it to our lives, then meditation itself uh, and its impact on our hearts and minds, our experience of God through His Word is a delight a joy that we then want to, we hunger for, we want to return to over and over again. And that, and that brought us to the final thing we looked at last week. We saw the metaphor of meditation. We saw how experiencing God through meditation brings about transformation. Do you want transformation in your life? Do you want change? Do you want to overcome sin? Do you want to be a more loving, a more kind, a more gentler person? Do you want to have uh, fruit, if you will? It's through meditation on the Word of God. That like the tree planted by streams of water, we who are planted by streams of God's Word, uh, we who meditate day and night on the Word of God, will not only experience God, but will experience change, but will be uh, changed by that experience. We'll bear fruit both internal and external fruit. We'll be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We'll experience the internal fruit of the Spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And because we experience this internal fruit through meditation on the Word of God, internal transformation by the Spirit, we'll also experience external fruit. We'll be positive, uh, Christ-centered change into the lives of the people around us. We'll be more joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, loving, self-controlled people. And that'll impact 
That'll have an impact on your world. The, the more you embrace, the more you're transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, the more you, you uh, reflect the fruit of the Spirit, the more impact you'll have in the lives of the people around you. Leading them, even, not to yourself, but to the one whose image you're being transformed into. Leading them to Jesus Christ. So I hope we're beginning to understand the importance of meditation on the Word of God. It's key. It's crucial. I don't, I don't believe I'm overstating it when I say meditation of God's Word is a must for our Christian lives. Along with prayer, it's how we experience God. It's how God transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. It's how God has revealed Himself, and it's how we enter into relationship with Him. And so today, we'll continue to talk about meditation on God's Word. This is probably going to be the last uh, Sunday dedicated to this. We'll mention it as we continue on. We're going to get extremely practical today. It's my prayer that, that from our time this morning, that, that each of us will be equipped, will understand, will have a method for meditation. I mean, really, this is, uh, as I was thinking about this, this is my job as the pastor of this church. My job is to help you be able to enter into relationship with God, to equip you for that. To enter into a relationship with God in such a way that, that then you're able to serve and, and, and follow Him and represent Him in this world. So we're going to look at this method of meditation. And by method, I, I simply mean a, a set of practical steps that you can take to meditate on God's Word. Now, maybe you already have your own method of meditation. Maybe you're a meditator on God's Word now. Maybe you already regularly, day and night, are meditating on the Word of God, and that is, that is awesome. You see, methods, at least how I'm using the Word, are not written in stone. Methods are a practical way of getting, uh, of getting things done. And we can have different methods uh, to get the same thing done. For example, if I were to say to you today, uh, we're going to meet, all of us, we're going to meet at my house after church today, and you must come. And suppose you actually felt compelled to do what I say. <laughs> That's funny. Then there are, there are many different methods to get to my house. You can get on the freeway and go up to Van Buren and come over. You can head up Canyon Crest Boulevard and cross over. You can just go right out to Chicago that turns into Alessandro. You can even go up, somehow get on Victoria and go over to Washington and go up that way. You can go in a car. You can go on a motorcycle. Maybe you have a motorhome. I don't know. You can ride a bike. Well, if you're Steve Reese, you could ride a bike. The rest of us would die along the way. Some methods may be better than others. You, you may even start with one method and then modify it. I better ditch this bike and call an Uber, right? But ultimately, the goal is to get to my house. This is what you must do, I mean, given this circumstance. And in the same way, ultimately, the goal is to, to meditate, to think about, to ponder, to gaze upon, to reflect upon. And I, I will talk about this. Uh, apply the Word of God. This is what we must do. This isn't an optional thing. If you want to experience God, if you want to uh, be in relationship with God. And so what I want to give you today is a, is a method a set of practical steps. This is my method. I'll just tell you. This is, this is how I do it. 
And then you can, I mean, and this came out of my sabbatical. I had meditated on uh, scripture before, but it wasn't a systematic thing. It was a haphazard thing. And so this has just become uh, just a part of my uh, daily routine. Set of practical steps to meditate on God's word. And then you can take these steps and, and you can modify them to fit with your life. Just don't modify them out. Don't modify the, the actual purpose of them out. Make sure we get to the meditation. Coming up with a method for meditation that works best for you. So are you ready for this? Oh, we're not going to uh, probably finish the whole thing, but I have it all in your notes. And so I'll give you all the fill-ins, and then we'll finish what we don't finish today next week. What time is it now? Okay, we're good. So here we go. First, and this may be, seem uh, obvious, but we don't, uh, we don't do it. Well, we don't always do it. It's simple. Establish a time in the morning. Establish time in the morning. I know this can be difficult, but it's both very practical and very biblical. Throughout the Psalms, uh, we read of seeking God in the morning. I mean, we read of seeking God throughout the day, but there's a special emphasis we find on the morning. One example, Psalm 143.8, David writes, Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. There's something about drawing near to God in the morning. Hearing of his love for you, that empowers you through, for the rest of your day, that enables you to know the way you should go. In Psalm 1, the author says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates when? Day and night. So practically speaking, you can't meditate on the word of God day and night if you don't begin in the morning. Meditation takes time, it should be happening throughout your day. And for, and for that to practically happen, you need to begin in the morning. So first, you need to establish a time in the morning for meditation. Then second, you must read your Bible daily. You must read your Bible daily. Uh, I'm going to add to that. I didn't put it as a step. But you, you also have to, uh, even as you go into reading, you have to pray that God will give you understanding of what you're reading. And we'll talk about under, uh, other ways to understand. But the first thing, I mean, the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God and the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God to our heart. So pray as you begin, anytime you begin to read the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate your heart to understand it. So meditation begins with reading. This may be obvious. If you're to delight in the law of the Lord and on His law meditate day and night, then you have to begin in the morning by reading the Bible. But I think there's some uh, important things to note here. There may be times when, when a, a passage we want to meditate on comes to mind. And the more passages we know, the more things we've memorized or are familiar with in the Scripture, the more that will happen to us. It'll come to our, there'll, there'll be things that'll come to our mind based on the situation we're, we're in, and we'll want to go back, open our Bible, and meditate on that. But normally, I think I'd suggest that we meditate on a passage that comes out of our daily Bible reading. This enables us to expand and to grow in our meditation. We're not just going back to the same scriptures over and over again. This enables us to become more familiar with God's Word, the whole of God's Word. This enables us to meditate on, on different portion, portions of scripture in different times of our life. 
Also, this stops us from just, uh, which I've heard people do, opening our Bibles, flipping randomly, and pointing to a verse and meditating on that. The Bible is not a random set of verses. The Bible is a book. Really, it's uh, 66 books, unified by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And as we'll see shortly, we need to understand the context of the passage we're meditating on. It's just not random words, random verses. So I'd suggest that you have some method, some plan to read through your Bible. There are many plans, for example, to read through the Bible in a year, and that's great. But as I said last week, if all you have time for is the reading, you know, you have 20 minutes in the morning. You've set aside, you've set your alarm 20 minutes early for a time in God's Word, a time to even begin your meditation, to to do this method, let's say. Well, you can't read five chapters because that's going to take your 20 minutes. So I'm just saying, uh, read it all, but slow down. Read less so you have time to meditate more. Because we tend to, when we just read, we tend to just, you know, okay, I read that. Check. Check on my list. Now, one final suggestion about reading your Bible. As I, as I said, the Bible is 66 different uh, but unified books. And one of the most beautiful things uh, we see in the Bible is it's not limited to one type of writing, one genre, if you will, one style The Bible is not a collection of sayings. It's not a collection of general truths. It's not a legal textbook. It doesn't only give historical accounts. It includes poetry, historical narrative, law, prophecy, theology, theological discourse, personal correspondence, and and, and other genres. And each of these can provide us not, not only with important information, but with words of transformation. So I would suggest that your daily Bible reading includes several of these genres. Or you move around, if, if you don't have time, you move around, okay, I'm going to read today from a historical narrative, tomorrow I'm going to read from Psalms. Or what I do, and, and I may be afforded a little more time than some of you, right now in my morning Bible reading, I read three chapters of the Bible. I read, I begin with a psalm, and sometimes those are short. It's poetry, worship, prayer. I then read a chapter from a a historical book. I'm rotating. I've read two of the Gospels already. Those are historical. Uh, I've read, what did I read? I think I read Ruth and a couple others. But right now I'm reading Joshua. Because uh, because I know my, you you know the reason I'm reading Joshua? Because I go, I've read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and... That's about where I get bogged down in my yearly Bible reading, and I don't get to Joshua. So I started with Joshua in the Old Testament this time. So I'm reading Psalm, chapter of Psalm, a chapter of Joshua, and then I read a chapter from the New Testament epistles, currently 2 Corinthians. So read your Bible daily. I mean, that's just my method, you know, however you guys choose. But be reading, I would suggest, from different portions of Scripture, but not not, again, not randomly, but be reading a book or two books or three books from chapter one to the end of the chapter in some systematic order. Does that make sense? So read your Bible daily, and as you do, the third thing, highlight key passages. 
By highlight, I don't mean use a highlighter, although that's not a bad idea. I do use a highlighter. But what I mean is to look for key passages, things you might want to return to, and highlight those. Write down your thoughts about those passages. Write down your observations, questions, even applications from those passages. And this might mean for you in your 20 minutes in the morning, you're reading a chapter or you're reading half a chapter. There are many ways to do that. But I'd like to suggest one that I I recently found or I returned to uh, that's been extremely helpful for me. Now, I don't know if you know this about me, uh, but I, uh, I'm very, well, I used to be very, I'm pretty uh, technically savvy, technologically savvy, you know? The older I get, the less technologically savvy I, I am. But I used to be. I used to work uh, with computers, be a computer programmer, had a computer myself since the mid-80s, and I, and I used some of the earliest Bible software that was available I also like to have the the latest and the greatest gadgets. I had one of the first, no, I had the first generation, the first iPad that that came out. I I had that, and shortly after that, I got a Bible app on my iPad. And since then, my iPad has been my Bible. And in some ways, that's very helpful. The apps, the software just keeps getting better and better, right? Right? I can have lots of different Bible versions. I can instantly look up Greek and Hebrew definitions of words. I can have my study Bible, my Bible dictionaries, my commentaries, all in this thing that I can carry with me very easily. But during my sabbatical, as I was reading through different parts of the Bible on my iPad and and taking notes in a, a journal, the journal that the elders gave me on my last Sunday before the sabbatical, I realized that I needed to get back to an actual book. I needed the pages. I remembered how helpful it was. So I was writing down in this journal, but it's here and, and I go, it'd be so much easier if I could just highlight this and make an arrow. And, and so I went to Amazon and I ordered uh, this Bible, Magic Tricks. Uh, it is a journaling Bible. And so it has the text of the, uh, can you guys see it? Can we get the camera to zoom in here? No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> it has the text here, and it has really wide margins. And so that's very helpful. Uh, what that means is, so with the extra wide margins, and then I also ordered some uh, highlighters and pens uh, specifically for taking notes in a Bible. Because regular highlighters just bleed through, regular pens just bleed through, and then so you got this problem. But they make pens and highlighters that for Bibles or for thin paper. Some of them actually, I think my highlighters say Bible highlighters. So I would recommend that. And what I found in this process, being able to physically highlight and write and underline and take notes in my Bible just helped me to take it in in a greater way than I had been. So as I read through, and I'm not saying, maybe you're good at, I I just, uh, on my iPad, you can take notes, you can do highlighting, and you can pop things and pop up notes, and you can do that. I just, it was very cumbersome for me, and I just didn't do it. I, I would read, and that was about it. So as I read through in my journaling Bible, three chapters in the morning, I, I take notes, I write down observations, applications, write down questions, I highlight key verses, words, and phrases, 
All of that helps me to take in, to remember God's word throughout my day and beyond even that day. And one more thing that I do is I highlight passages, as I highlight a passage uh, that I want to meditate on, so I'm reading the three chapters, uh, and I don't stop there and meditate. On a pa- I highlight it and mark it with an M. Mark it with an M for marking me? I don't know. Mark it with an M for meditate in the margin, and then I can come back to it. And that's number four. I choose a passage. Now, you can't really meditate on everything you read in the Bible. Well, maybe you can once you're retired, Chuck. No problem, right? Or, or if you get a very long sabbatical, you know, that's helpful. But we can't really just, we can't really, we just don't have the time. Uh, but, and some passages are easier to meditate on than others. Meditating on the genealogies of the Bible might not be the first place to start. Maybe somebody, I'm sure, there's books on these things. Somebody's done it, but I wouldn't recommend it to begin with. After service last week, uh, I was talking with Sharon, who's reading through, is this BSF? Are you guys doing 2 Samuel? Okay, so she's reading through 2 Samuel, BSF, 2 Samuel. And she was asking about how to meditate on passages that are filled with stuff that she doesn't even like to read about, you know. Uh, Sins of David's children, brothers killing brothers, raping sisters, That does not sound like fun meditating material. And the thing is, you don't have to meditate on everything. Some people might find it helpful to spend some time meditating on the sins of David's children, pondering the results of sin and disobedience and praying that God not let that come into my life or my family. But this may not be your first choice for meditation. That's why I like to read from several different places, genres. I'll be honest, I I haven't meditated much since the first chapter of Joshua, be strong and courageous, do not turn from the right. I haven't meditated much from Joshua, but I'm reading through it. But I always find something to meditate on in Psalms and in the epistles, the gospels. So for my daily reading and from what I highlighted, I choose a passage. Usually, uh, usually just one, maybe two, to meditate on. So how do you choose a passage to meditate on? Maybe a specific verse or verses that speaks to your current situation. Maybe it speaks to a sin you're struggling with in your life, or a relationship you're having difficulty with, or a a character quality that you'd like to see in your life, or a truth about yourself or God that you need to move from your head to your heart, and then to your hands and to your feet. For example, a few days ago in my daily Bible reading, I came to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I read, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And I just use this as one example. There's one for every day. This one is just sort of straightforward, so I chose it. And immediately I highlighted this passage and I marked it with the M for meditation because I wanted to stop and think about my giving. I wanted to stop and think about what it means to be a a cheerful giver. I wanted to meditate on the fact that God loves a cheerful giver. What does that mean? God loves those that give cheerily, and I wanted to meditate on the concepts of sowing and reaping. So that was a passage I chose for that day 
Now, once we choose a passage, we need to make sure we understand the passage. We talked about this last week. If we're going to meditate, if we're going to ponder, if we're going to gaze upon the Word of God in such a way that we behold His glory and we experience relationship with Him and He brings transformation into our life, into the image of Jesus Christ, it's ever so important that we're beholding the truth of God's Word that we're truly understanding what we're meditating on. Meditation on God's Word means that we put in the time and the effort to understand the true meaning of a verse or verses. And then we meditate on that true meaning. So it's important that that once we choose a passage for meditation, that you make sure you understand what that passage means. Specifically, what what the God-inspired author of the passage intended it to mean. Not what you think it means to you, but what what God meant when he inspired the author to write it. Paul wrote to Timothy, do your best, or as the King James says, study to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We must take the time, make the effort, do our best, study, so we are approved by God to rightly handle his word. In his book on prayer, in the uh, section on meditation, Tim Keller writes, Unless you first do the hard work of understanding the text, your meditations won't be grounded in what God is actually saying in the passage. Something in the passage may, quote-unquote, hit you, but it may hit you as expressing almost the opposite of what the biblical author inspired by the Spirit was saying. When that happens, you're listening to your own heart or to the spirit of your own culture, not to God's voice in Scripture. So how do we practically do the hard work? And so, so, uh, well, I'll, I'll get to it. How do we practically do this hard work of understanding the text? Well, we need to begin by understanding that this is something we all must grow in. And so, uh, there's a lot of text that as you read it, the, the meaning is clear, you know. But there are some where it's difficult. And the longer you're a Christian the longer you have a relationship with the Lord, right? The more uh, of the Bible you read and you intake, the more biblical sermons you hear, the more time you spend studying the Bible in small groups, the more you go to BSF, many of you go to that, the more time you spend reading uh, Bible-saturated books, books uh, that are really focused in, they have a, they have a message, but they're delivering the message from what Scripture says, not the opinions of men, the more you'll grow in understanding the Bible. But where does that leave us, maybe even the new believer or old believer who's coming to a passage and and just doesn't understand it, but wants to understand it, wants to meditate on that passage? Let me make a few suggestions. First, ask some questions about the passage. Questions that help you get at the true meaning in your notes. Okay, I've, I've, I've put them in your notes. If you have notes, these questions are in your notes. And so these are sample questions, but I think they're good questions. What comes before and after the passage, right? That's uh, maybe crucial. We saw that last week in Philippians. I shall do all things through Christ who strengthens me, through him who strengthens me. But we needed to know the verse before it. The context was, was not accomplishing great things. The context was suffered, living in difficult circumstances. What becomes full before and after? The context. What's the context of the author? 
the, and the original readers. Where, what, where was he writing from? Was Paul writing in prison? That might impact how you're reading it. Who's he writing it to? What's their situation? What was the author's purpose for writing this book? Why is he, why is he writing this book, this letter, to this group of people? What words or phrases do I not understand? Now, now the question is, how do we answer these questions? So it's easy to pull to have the questions. How do you answer them? And the answer is, we uh, today are blessed with many resources designed to help us answer these questions, to help us understand the meaning of the Bible. I, I'd suggest you begin with a good study Bible. If you don't have a study Bible, I'd suggest that be your next purchase or your next gift on your birthday or Christmas list. I want a good study Bible. Study Bibles include both the Bible and notes just in the margin to help you understand things that are not always clear. I'd recommend, I use the ESV Study Bible. It's very helpful. And so I have the, I have the journaling Bible, and I still use the ESV Study Bible, which I have on computer and iPad. So that's my method, but you can have two books if you want. You might also want to get a Bible dictionary, a simple Bible commentary, these and other resources are available in books, in apps, online, computer programs. And I'd be more than happy to help anyone acquire these resources. If you need help understanding the Word of God, uh, you have to reach out. You have to, you, have to, you have to do something about it. So if this is something you're lacking, uh, just uh, feel free to come to me. Come to me after the service today, and I'll help you in any way I can. I'm committed to helping the people of this church grow in their relationship with God, and understanding and meditating on His Word is uh, at the heart of that. And for those who want to start immediately, maybe you don't, I, have, I brought some books here on this table to your left. Vanna, would you reveal the book? No. Free of charge. Take them. You can come and take there's, uh, there's, Bible, there's a couple uh, study Bibles there. Some of them are a little beat up. There's some, some uh, uh, dictionaries, Bible dictionaries. There's a few one-volume commentaries. So once you've either chosen a... Pa- so feel free after service. You know, don't like take them all, you, you know. We'll start with something, you know. Take one if, if you think you'll use it. And once you've either chosen a passage you uh, understand already, maybe, maybe you're, I'm not going to meditate on this one today because I, I don't know what this means, but this one, it's pretty clear. I heard a sermon on it. We studied it at BSF. Our small group is looking at it. I mean, that may be an, an, a, another method. You, your meditation comes out of what your small group is studying, what you're studying at BSF. And so you've already done this work someplace else. But even... To do that work someplace else, you need resources, and so those are available, and I can help you find others. So once you've chosen a passage, uh, uh, you've done the work to understand the passage, then you should ponder the passage. Okay. In step six and seven, we move from reading or studying to actual meditation. So, so far we haven't, we're just, this was all preliminary, these first five steps. You begin to ponder, you begin pondering, thinking about the passage you've chosen. Now, you've chosen it for a reason, so you're probably thinking about, okay, how does this apply in this situation? You might want to read it several times. 
You might want to write it out on an index card and carry it with you throughout the day. You might want to commit the, the, the passage or part of the passage to memory. Your purpose is to fill your mind with this passage. Allow it to permeate your thinking. Allowing the Word of God to work in your mind and in your heart. In the book of Hebrews, we read this about the Word of God. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Many of us know this verse, but do we believe, have we experienced it? If you want to experience the living, active Word of God in your life, if you want God's Word to pierce your heart, your soul, your spirit, to enable you to discern the will of God versus your own will, then, then you can't just quickly read through some chapters in the Bible. You have to stop. You have to consider. You have to understand and ponder what's being said. And one of the best ways to do this is to ask yourself questions, like again, the ones I've included in your notes. These notes, I mean, whether you keep them or not, remember these questions. What does this teach me about God? As you're pondering this, what, what is this showing me about God? What does this reveal about who God is? What does this teach me about myself, about humanity, of which I am one? What does this teach us about us? What does this teach us about myself? Is there a command I need to obey? Is there something here I need to appropriate into my life? Is there a promise I need to trust in? And once you've asked and answered these questions, or, or others, there are other questions you could ask about the passage. Once you've pondered the passage, then you can move to uh, step seven, and we'll, we'll, we'll end there. I think I can do that. Uh, apply the passage. Apply it to your life. Paul wrote to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture is not just for information, it's for application. It's profitable, it's good to teach you, to reproof you, to correct, to train, to equip you. Scripture is meant to have a transforming impact in your life. And so we can't read it or meditate on it without applying it. We talked about this briefly last week, that a key way to apply a passage you're meditating on is to, again, ask questions. Questions, again, like the ones in your notes. Am I living in light of this? Am I obeying this command that's right in front of my face? What difference does this make in my life? If I would apply this, how would my life be different? Am I taking it seriously? What needs to change in my life based on this passage? As you answer these questions, applications will come. They'll become clear. How do you apply the Bible? You read it, you meditate on it, you ask questions like this, and you apply it. For example, as I asked these questions about 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, I realized that I'm not the most cheerful giver. I actually am a fairly good giver, but I'm not very cheerful about it. But I realized I want to be. I don't want to be a begrudging giver. I want to be a cheerful giver. My main application for my meditation was to become a more cheerful giver, to be cheery. To, to rejoice. I mean, it's really a positive thing, right, for me to be able to, 
I'm going to give anyway. Might as well be happy about it. But how do I do that? How do, how do we apply the passage to our lives? Especially, this is the hard part. Well, maybe not. You know, it's easy to apply a passage that says, give me an example. Because uh, I didn't write one down in my, my you know. Uh, do not, do not kill. Thank you. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. <laughs> do not kill. Do not steal. The Ten Commandments. That's a good place to go. I just, you know, I'm not going to kill anybody. I've decided not to kill anybody. Uh, but there's much of Scripture that isn't that simple, if, if you will. Much of the Bible calls us to not only change our behavior, but to change our heart. If Paul had said, God loves a generous giver, then my application would be, to, would be much easier, right? I could just up my giving a little bit. I'm being more generous. I'm doing what uh, God says. But God calls for an emotional response to my giving, with, which involves a change of heart. And no matter how hard I try, I can't change my heart. So that brings us to the final step of uh, meditation. But this is actually the step that takes us from meditation and moves us to prayer. Once you've seen the Word of God, the application you need to make in your life, the transformation that needs to take place, you must then pray the passage. Pray the application. I'm not going to do this one this morning. We're going to stop here because this, uh, this sort of leads into other messages. There's going to be a, next week I'm going to bridge between this meditation and prayer. Uh, however, this week I'd like to encourage you, encourage myself to ask God. I mean, this has been a little different this morning, right? This is a little bit technical. I, I have books and, and uh, I was telling you, you know, highlight things and steps, a little less, uh, a little more educational than motivational maybe. I hope we got our motivation from the previous weeks. I hope we get our motivation from our desire to want to experience relationship with God and uh, me telling you, I hope you believe this is how you do it. So this week, ask God uh, to build, to go to prayer. Ask God to build into your life a method for me- a consistent method for meditation. It could be very, I mean, it can't be very different from what you still better ponder, you still better apply, you still better be reading your word, but when and how you do it can be a lot different from what I presented. But the basic, I think you have the basic tools here. If you desire to taste and see that the Lord is good, to move beyond belief in God, only believing these truths, and to actually experiencing God, to taste the honey. If you desire to experience God and to be transformed by that experience, if you desire to overcome sin, I mean, this is the, this is the way to do it, by the way. I mean, we're all, that's a big thing in our lives. It certainly is in mine. We have sin in our life that we can't overcome. This is the only way. I mean, we could gut it out. This is the only way to do it in the power of the Lord instead of our own power. I mean, we can have self power to overcome, to stop doing things. But this is the way to have a transformed heart where you forsake the sin. I just don't want to do that anymore because God's changed my heart. It comes through relationship with Him, His Word, and prayer.
You must begin with filling your heart and mind with the truth of God's Word. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your Word. What an amazing gift you've given us uh, in the pages of a book. Uh, The method of, of beholding your glory, of being transformed by you, Lord. I pray that we, as a people, as individuals, would take advantage of that, Lord. That we would not forsake your word. That we would come to it on a daily basis, on a regular basis. And we wouldn't just read it as a, for a checklist, Lord, but we would stop We would ponder, we would think, we would meditate, we would apply, and we would call upon you to make it real in our lives through prayer. In Christ's name.